Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Trundlebed Trails Radio, and I'm so glad that you could come and join us tonight. We had a little trouble getting hold of Steve, but I think we're all ready to go now, which is great. Uh, before we get going with him, though, I do want to take a moment and um, turn to some housekeeping. I changed my sound effect for that. Since people were having trouble recognizing the sweeping, we're going with washing dishes now since that's something else that Laura did an awful lot of. And I just I want to remind everybody to that if you want to call in, you certainly can. It's 714-242-5253, 714-242-5253, toll-free, one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine one eight seven seven six three three nine three eight nine and if you ever find yourself out and about during one of the episodes and you want to listen in, you can also call in that way and just listen. You don't have to talk. <clears throat> I'm gonna have a bit of a frog in my throat tonight, but I hope it won't be too bad and that you'll be able to tell what's going on. Um, I also wanted to tell you that our uh, episode that we did, the April update, now that the Laura Ingalls Wilder event season has sort of started, uh, I did a 15-minute kind of catch-up what was going on in Laura fandom this month for April, and it is going great guns, so I will keep on doing that for the season, so look for one at the beginning of May. And May 4th, I'm going to have my next episode, and that is going to be Seeking Laura Letters, and it's going to be talking about my project to try and get copies of the letters that Laura wrote and get them deposited in the Walnut Grove Laura Ingalls Wilder Museum. So I hope you will all turn tune in for that, and I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, we'll turn to Steve in just one more second, but I just wanted to... Um, tell first the story of the first time I went to Baroque. Now, I always like to say Iowa has three connections to Laura Ingalls Wilder. There is the Laura Papers at the Herbert Hoover Presidential Library and Museum. There is the Blind School at Vinton that Mary attended. And there is also the um, uh, Baroque Hotel where the Ingalls family worked and lived from 1876 to 1877. And Baroque was actually one of my first Laura sites that I visited. And uh, the funny thing was, I was shooting slide film at the time to put together my very first Laura Ingalls Wilder um, presentation. And I took a picture of the Master's Hotel and I got home 
and the roof looked like a Howard Johnson's. It was bright orange. There was a spot on the film exactly the shape of the roof in this huge day glow orange color. So I made an entire separate trip to go up there just to get another picture of the outside of the um, hotel without the flash effect. And that picture didn't turn out either. So it actually took me about three years to get my first decent picture of the Masters Hotel at Baroque. But it certainly has come a long way since then. And I'm going to go ahead and bring on Steve. I hope. There we go. Steve? Steve, are you there now? Yes, I am. Okay. We're having more than our fair share of technical difficulties tonight, but that's all behind us now, right? Cool. So uh, we're, uh, do you want to just uh, sort of start out telling our listeners uh, what you know about yourself a little bit, how you started to work at the museum and what you do? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I moved to Decorah, Iowa with my spouse, Sarah, after um, – our daughter attended Luther, and we had a chance to move somewhere, and we uh, liked Decorah. So we moved here, and a couple of years after being here, the uh, executive director of the Laura Ingalls Wilder Park and Museum position came open. And so I applied, and uh, I had read the uh, the books to our daughters as, as they were younger and uh, knew somewhat but not a whole lot about the situation and so was uh, hired to take that position in March of 2008. Well, you've done just a really outstanding job with it. I think that you're probably one of the most, um, what would be the right word, I want to say responsible, but that isn't quite right. But I, I know you, you even suggested they cut your hours during the winter so that the budget would be easier to make. That is just, I think, phenomenal. Well, that you, you don't have to be crazy to work here, but it helps. Well, I think it certainly must. Uh, so what do you do as director? What kind of things does your job entail? Well, I'm the... Uh, buck stops here person, I guess you would say. I have the uh, joy of working with the rest of the uh, staff. Uh, we have uh, about three year-round part-time persons, and then the uh, summer staff that we hire additional persons when our busier season is, uh, usually high school, college-age students. And then also we have uh, the volunteers for the organization that uh, I get to work with and coordinate their activities. So it's um, basically making sure that uh, everything from the fundraising special events to the giving of the guided tours to the um, overseeing that the facilities are cared for, just basically the whole nine yards. So if one of our listeners turned up in in Baroque on any particular day, will you be on hand for There's them? There's I'm not always there, but um, <laughs> part of the uh, the need of a small nonprofit is to make expenses go as far as you, you can. can, of course, from what you were sharing earlier. So um, sometimes I do also, yes, give uh, guided tours as well. Well, I'm sure everybody would be really glad to uh, get one directly from you. Now, um, let's uh, look over 
to or think back a little bit to mm-hmm. when uh the baroque was identified as a lorisite because it's a little different uh than most of the other sites. Yes, um what what our opportunity is is to share Laura's unpublished story because it wasn't in her um eight children's books, the original eight books. Um people had heard something about there was some missing period. There was a period Laura didn't write about. There were uh, a time they lived uh, in Iowa. They didn't always go west, but they actually backtracked a little bit. And um, as I understand the story uh, is that, that the curator down in Mansfield at the museum <clears throat> and her husband, the Litchies, um, wanted to come to Burr Oak and check out the story of what they had heard of what was going on in Iowa, so that when they had the many guests come to Missouri, they would be able to share the story. So they showed up in 1968 and then um, put out a little pamphlet, and the first pamphlet about Burr Oak was called The Ingalls Family from Plum Creek to Walnut Grove via Burr Oak, Iowa. And it was a very good little pamphlet to give people information, although there were some inaccuracies in there that confused people. For example, the uh, the wrong building was pictured as, in the original as the uh, hotel that the Ingalls family worked and stayed in. So that was confusing people. So uh, that was corrected over time, though. And um, from that booklet coming out in 1970, then, uh, some local persons uh, did the research and checked through the deeds. Uh, David DeCoo, one that did a lot of work, I understand, in the in the courthouse checking, and they were able to purchase the correct place. However, it's not something you would have purchased if you were in your right mind in terms of just the building was falling down. I mean, it was in literal need of, of, of restoration and repair. So they uh, purchased it in 1973, and then um, 100 years after the Ingalls were in town, living in town in 1876, the museum opened in 1976. Well, to be fair, though, the the building that they had identified, and you will still see in some of the older publications labeled, was actually a hotel, too. Yes, the America House Hotel actually uh, sat across the street and just uh, north of our present visitor center. Um, And so it's sort of fun because even uh, Rose was taken there when she came in uh, uh, 1932 on a road trip. Um, but she said, no, this is this is not what my mother described because her mother had told her about the two front doors on the main street. And so when they were corrected, then they took her to the right place and she was able to meet the person and uh, the, the house lady let her in and looked through and she said, yes, this is what my mother described. Well, it really uh, was great that they, it was still there and that they were able to save it. Now, if you have ever do get to go to Baroque, listeners, one of the things that you'll get to see are some uh, early pictures of this work. And really, they literally tore the foundation out and replaced it. They had some of the Army Corps of Engineers come in and, and put the present foundation there. They had to tear off an addition. So it really changed a lot uh, to make it look back like it had been as a hotel. Yes, even the um, 
pictures of the main street that we have dating from the early 1900s have the two-story addition on the south side of the building. And so um, they went way back to a Tales of Travel, Life, and Love history book that George Bent had written of Burr Oak and uh, found one of the original 1870 pictures of the building and used it as the guide to restore it back to what it had been in that time. Well, it's really amazing that they still have a picture because, I mean, it was just a little nondescript place, and it isn't even really the center of the picture. So it's it's just wonderful that they were able to find that. And we're going to come back to George Bent a little bit later, so everybody okay. remember that name. Um, but one of the things that I always think is just really credible, incredible about that restoration process is uh, that – there were uh, four four people, the David Decoe, Lorraine Hoke, Jean Jenkins, and Lynn Danielson, and they literally mortgaged their houses to buy this place. And if it wasn't for them, it would have fallen down long ago and been another one of those, this is where this used to be sites. So I think Laura fans certainly owe them a big debt of gratitude because instead we've got this lovely museum to go to that really makes us uh, see what Laura's life was like then. And it's now been 35 years that their efforts have um, rewarded people who have come from around the world and across the country to uh, find out this, what used to be called the missing link aspect. Um, David, as I understand, was a, David Deku was a... Uh, Baroker, who uh, had read the books and then was just really enthralled by the idea that the author of these books that he enjoyed so much had lived right in the same community he did. And then the others, uh, two of the others, Jean and um, Lorraine, were school teachers. And then Lynn Danielson was a, the librarian at the uh, Northwind Community School. And so uh, they all had interest as well in the books. And when they discovered what they had. Yeah, they, they really did, uh, well, it wasn't a super expensive price because it was so run down, but they did uh, buy the process and then uh, turn it over to the incorporation after they had uh, secured it and taken care of it. Well, it's just really a great story, and yeah. I think from that just that story alone, it's worth a, a trip to any Laura fan to find out about it. Uh, now, I'm guessing that probably one of the number one questions that you get asked most frequently is, why isn't Baroque in the book? So do you want to do your best stab at that? Well, a lot of people uh, who are familiar with Laura's story know that it was a time of um, they weren't going west, they weren't things weren't looking up. They had just gone through the grasshopper plague out in uh, west southwestern Minnesota, and um, had traveled back to southeastern Minnesota to visit Peter and Eliza Ann, um, worked there for a little bit to make some money before they headed to Burr Oak, and it was, of course, there in South Troy on the uh, the farm that Peter and Eliza had that uh, the only son of Charles and Carolyn, little uh, Charles Frederick or Freddie, uh, passed away at the age of nine months. So a lot of people say it's because it was such a, a dark time and a down time, and uh, things weren't looking up. And Laura uh, Overrose even reported that there was too much to put in. Um, all You couldn't write everything, and Laura's books were true, but she didn't include everything of the stories. 
What we find interesting, uh, Sarah, is that uh, we have a letter that Laura wrote uh, some six years before she passed that says the reason she didn't put Baroque in her books is that it would bring in too many different people. And in writing the story, you need to keep the reader's interest to the principal people and not scattered among so many. But she does comment in that letter that she remembers the uh, parts of two years they were here with uh, with much fondness. She uh, she had good memories of the place. In fact, uh, the little art or the letter she wrote to the paper confirming she lived there has been published as a brochure, and they call it uh, "It Was a Lovely Place," which I think is is a very nice uh, compliment. Yes. yes. No. Indeed. And and she had well she talks in that letter about waiting for her friend uh, Alice Ward and uh sitting on the steps of the Methodist church as she waited and then them walking south to the cemetery and them enjoying the beautiful carvings and reading the inscriptions and and she also described the cemetery as um a marvelous place for people to uh, sleep the rest of their time until Judgment Day. So she seemed quite entranced by the beauty of the... And, of course, back in that time, uh, cemeteries were park-like and a place where people could find green space, a place to go and relax and and honor those resting there, but also enjoy the, the beauty and the serenity of the place. That is very true. Often people are uh, kind of... Um, hesitant anymore about cemeteries but cemeteries used to be a very important kind of part of people's lives that they oh, yeah. uh, would go to take care of the graves before we dumped everybody into perpetual care and there well, wasn't quite even, yeah go ahead oh and, and there really wasn't quite the the horror of them there is now which which as there is a cemetery literally right next door to my house i kind of still have a little bit of that <laughs> attitude i guess <laughs> well the the Ingalls family, you know, they had death in their family. And um, when we take school children on tours of the cemetery during their trips, uh, field trips and things, we look at some of the carvings. And when you look at the Victorian influence of how they actually carve stone to make it look like draperies laying across the corner of a stone or tassels hanging from uh, a, a beautiful tablecloth, uh, the the Monuments, the stones themselves, were actually to portray a, a home-like and, and a serene and a beautiful setting so that their their loved one could be in a, quote, comfortable situation in their resting. Uh, we actually have a caller on the line, so let's go ahead to them. Uh, area code 801, uh, you're on the line. Hello. Hi there. I love the show. i got to say that first. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I've listened to all of the uh, archive shows, but uh, I had to call in this week, and I, I missed the first part of the show. Um, I understand you talk about cemeteries, uh, so I guess I'll make my question about that. Um, the Ingalls family, are they all dispersed throughout the United States in, in different cemeteries, or are they, uh, do they have a family plot anywhere? In the Smith is the family plot where all of the family, except for Laura, Almanzo, and Rose, and those three are uh, interred down in Mansfield, the cemetery down in Missouri. Okay, thank you so much. Yes. Uh, and I will uh, mention, too, that Royal is buried in Spring Valley. We in just a very went by that today, actually. That was interesting. 
it, it's a nice cemetery, but I'll tell yeah. you, he's under this tree, and it is like impossible to get a decent shot of that stone. I have tried <laughs> yeah. all yeah. hours of the day and night. Uh, so they uh, do have did, a little marker right at the one entry, though, that says where the wilder um, resting places are. Yeah, I, I would encourage anybody who is interested to go out. Oh, we got a little feedback there. Uh, I'm going to take you back offline, caller, um, just because we were getting a little feedback. Um, the, uh, but I, I will continue to say, though, I would encourage anybody who wants to go to any of the cemeteries to do that. Anymore, they're all very well marked. It's very easy to find any of the graves and uh, even, you know, the little sort of side places like um, Spring Valley. And if you want to, you can actually, you know, find things like I was just asked a question last night about uh, um, Eliza Jane's grave down in Crawley, Louisiana. So uh, there's, you know, other relatives spread around, but those are the main ones in the set. And in Independence, too, is yes. another site with personality. And they're all nicely marked, so I encourage you to go out. My mother always says we end uh, always end up in a cemetery on vacation looking for dead wilders. <laughs> and I point out, to be fair, sometimes they're ingles, but she doesn't seem to think this is much of a point. I so, uh, so um, let's kind of go on. So we were talking about the cemetery then. I guess if people want to um, know about Baroque, now it wasn't actually in Laura's uh, books, but there are actually two books, one fictional, one not, that talk about Baroque. And you can get them both from your gift shop, right? Uh, there's actually three when you think about Pioneer Girl that Laura wrote uh-huh. originally, her unpublished autobiography. Um, and our uh, some of our staff have just secured the... Uh, microfilms from the Hoover Library and have been uh, getting some copies made of the original handwritten version of that to compare against the printed copies, just for curiosity's sake. But uh, yes, the uh, Pioneer Girl, the original unpublished of Laura's, as well as um, William Anderson has put together the Iowa story, which is uh, taken based on Laura's unpublished, as well as other letters and documentations and research he's done, and then there's also information about Mary attending the uh, Vinton School for the Blind for the uh, eight years that she was there, or parts of eight years. And so the Iowa story is his research and compilation of, well, the four people we mentioned earlier who helped establish the situation uh, there in Baroque, as well as different other connections of letters people wrote, or the Greens from DeSmit who were from Iowa, and, and so there's a, a quite a bit of information, the boast from Iowa in the Iowa story about Iowa connections, so it really is the Iowa story. And then the, uh, as I understand, the publishers, um, what was Harper Brothers, the Harper and Road, um, asked Cynthia Ryland, who's an award-winning children's author, to write Old Town in the Green Groves to be a historical fiction written in Laura's style of that information from the unpublished manuscript in Anderson's book uh, to sort of give a children's book about the Baroque um, 
living situation, the stories that happened to the Ingalls when they were in the old town. Uh, the old town because when the Ingalls came here in 1876, it was actually 25 years old and had uh, brick buildings and fully established Main Street. And so it wasn't the new town of uh, the Smith or Walnut Grove or Independence that the Ingalls had gone to. It was an old established town. Now, we get questions sometimes about whether uh, the old town in Green Groves is still in print and if it's still available because there's been some um, backtracking and support of of the spinoff series, I would say. Yeah. Well, the uh, the hard copy is no longer available as, as a new book, but the uh, paperback are still uh, available, yes. And if somebody wanted to uh, get either of those from your gift shop, how could they do that? Um, they could just go to our website, lauraingleswilder.us, and uh, either do it online there or at museum at lauraingleswilder.us. Send us an email requesting a uh, either the book or a uh, price list of our gift shop. Or they could call. Five six three seven three five five nine one six. Okay, now as a, a visitor who's coming to Baroque, mm-hmm. um, let's talk about some of the things that there is for people to see. Uh, Baroque's kind of a smallish town. It's about ten minutes <laughs> north. You're kind, uh, well, very kind. To say kind of small. Well, I, I, it does have an active restaurant, which puts it well above Morse, which is the closest <laughs> town to me. Um, but it's a fairly small town, probably the smallest of the Laura sites, and it's sort of in a bend of the road because it was bypassed when the highway went through. And it's a very pretty little town, but as they come into town following the very good signage from either end of the you know, bypassed loop. They come in yeah. to mm-hmm. sort of the little four corners area, and then they, uh, what, where should they go next? Well, just uh, one block north of that main four corner. Um, on the east side of the road, we have the museum. I'm sorry, on the west side of the road, we have the museum, and uh, diagonally to the north of that is our visitor center in an old uh, Baroque savings bank building. So the uh, bank was restored and opened. It was actually not even there when the Ingalls were in town, but uh, opened in uh, 2004 as the new, uh, well, finally, restoration was finished in 2008, but uh, it opened as a visitor center in 2004 and uh, provided restrooms and a larger uh, gift shop and a little bit of history of Baroque as well and some space for those things so that the uh, museum building could be entirely devoted to telling the story of the Ingalls family. And I I just want to mention that uh, I actually have a picture of it with a tree growing out of the middle because the roof was gone. And so I am just always amazed at what a phenomenal job that you have there. And um, I don't think you can overemphasize enough to the traveler, how nice it is to have those those uh, bathrooms, public bathrooms available. Uh, I know I have been grateful arriving there for them on several occasions. So yes. it's really been a great addition. 
it's been a wonderful aspect, and as well as the space that we can devote then to, uh, like I was saying, the letters that Laura has written that talk about Burr Oak and uh, the Iowa Connection, some letters she wrote to some Tipton, Iowa school children that we have copies of. Um, these are early letters, 1933. My next book, Farmer Boy, will be coming out in October. Those are very interesting to read about and to look at on the wall there. So that's allowed that space to uh, to spread out a little bit and have uh, more available that way. And uh, you have a nice little gift shop in there, too. And then there's uh, the jail vault, which uh, your, your uh, I mean, sorry, not jail, bank vault. And this bank was actually robbed once, right? Correct. It is the, uh, Baroque is the smallest community in the county to have a, a bank and the site of our county's first bank robbery here in Winnesheet County. I don't know how I get the question, how many bank robberies have there been? I don't know how many there have been, but I know we were the first <laughs> in that little. And some people do, Sarah, think that the uh, the vault with the metal gate between the safety deposit area and the bank storage area is a jail vault. Uh, we get that a lot. Oh, come look at the jail cell. Well, it's it's not. It's just a separation of two areas of the vault itself. And you mentioned the tree growing up through the roof. Well, part of the reason the the floor of that vault room is original is not only was there the steel-lined vault, but there was a brick ceiling above that, another barrier for any kind of robber, I suppose. But uh, that extra brick above helped protect the vault so that it stayed in uh, didn't get holes up through it for the weather to uh, attack the building when it was empty for about 20 years. Well, it's it's a very nice example of sort of that 1900-1910 commercial architecture. And yeah, if, yeah. if if you're into that, it's worth a look just for that, how they've repurposed the building over the years. It really is a nice thing. And uh, it's really kind of special to Laura fans because – um, that's the, the story goes how Rose figured out that she was in Baroque because uh, she was doing a, uh-huh. a trip through Iowa in the 1930s. If you look at her Saturday Evening Post article, Who's Who and Why, she mentions that she loved Iowa City at night, or she'll see the rapids at night in Iowa City anytime, which I think she just said to annoy me because I had to track down where she she was here, and she really wasn't here that long. But anyway, she uh, started asking where Baroque was, and uh, as it is practically to the Minnesota border, nobody in an Iowa City or or Cedar Rapids could tell her, but as she's going, but to get from Iowa City to Spring Valley back then, you pretty much had to go through Baroque, and as she's driving along, there she sees on the bank window, Baroque, and uh, hops out and finds out all about uh, where her mother lived. So I, I think it's really great that you were able to restore that part of the story. Well, and also the uh, the post office for years, as well as the barber shop, were in the old bank building after the bank closed. And so uh, it has a long lineage of being of service to the community. So this is just another way that the building itself is serving the community. Well, um, so then we're going to move on. The, the visitors have come to the the. Um, visitors center they've gotten their tickets and then uh, you take them from there as a group over to the hotel correct yes our tours happen whenever we have people who are ready to go 
So there's no set schedule or anything. If one person comes and is ready for a tour, we take them on the tour. You know, if if five people come, whatever it is, we, we want to facilitate people giving that tour experience and, and being part of that. So, um, yeah, there's no set thing. It's whenever we have someone or our group ready, we take them across and um, point out a few places um, that, as you said, had are no longer there, but to show where around the community. For example, the Congregational Church set where uh, the Stedmans who invited the Ingalls to come run the, the hotel with them, and the Ingalls attended church when they were there in it. Um, the schoolhouse, the the site of the building that the Ingalls family rented, the two-story brick house where the fourth daughter, Grace Pearl, was born in 1877. So, yes, we point those things out as well as the um, where the grocery store sat that the Ingalls rented the upstairs of. We, uh, we like to point out that in the about a year period, parts of two years, that the Ingalls were in Burr Oak, they actually lived in three different locations. And, and, of course, that supports people's ideas of paws, itchy feet to travel and move around. But I always find that the Ingalls story has a lot to do with circumstances and what's going on. And them not being just flighty, but being pretty intentional about making changes in their situation. And even to the point of Carolyn finally saying, no, we're not moving anymore. Yeah. This is... You know, it wasn't just whim-wham. There were a lot of specific reasons that they moved in their various places in life. But as we get over to the um, hotel building then, um, people think it's such a small building on the outside. But then we have the joy of opening up that there are three levels in the building and some 14 rooms and giving them the the tour situation as we go in. And uh, it's a... It's pretty interesting to see people's reactions, whether they know the story or not. Um, we love, love for people to uh, ask questions and to help them understand or fill in maybe segments of the story they don't know or to ask questions if they don't know anything about the story because that's that's why we have tour guides as opposed to just having people read uh, pieces of paper or descriptions on the wall. Well, it it definitely does make a difference. Um, so there's the two kind of public rooms on the second floor. Um, there's bedrooms upstairs where it was renting a place in the bed, not the room usually. And right. then and then downstairs is where Ma would have spent most of her time uh, with the kitchen and the uh, dining room. And there's that great kind of pass-through area. I just adore that. I'm so glad you guys have opened it up so you can see it a little better. But under the stairs, there's this big shelving unit built in with um, the ability to pass things through from one side to the other. And I just love that place. Yes, and and it's a joy to help people. Sarah, we just uh, this winter redid uh, the entire building with our displays. And so we've made some... um, what I think are pretty significant changes that I think open up the visitors' understanding of what was going on when the Ingalls were there. Um, So we've made it so that you can go um, behind the parlor. There was a a longtime boarder who stayed there, Mr. Bisbee. 
And so we've actually opened up so that you can go through the original doorway, as Mr. Bisbee would have, into oh, that really? and see how it was related to the rest of the arrangements of things. And so taken Mr. Bisbee's room and tried to, let's say, authenticate or place it so that um, there's only one bed in there. He He paid 75 cents to have his own bed. So we wanted to try and show, you know, this was his space. He paid for this space, not just a bed, but the entire room that way. And so um, a lot of extra things that were in the room, like there was a treadle sewing machine in that room before. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it was there because there was space for it, but we've moved that out. So the only things in Mr. Bisbee's room now pertain to helping the guest understand Mr. Bisbee's experience in town and the stories of him. And so well, that's we think great. That, yeah, we think the story now is uh, much easier for people to grasp and uh, to understand how the Ingalls and Bisbee interacted and related. And um, So, yeah, we're, we're really happy with the, the new, if you will, situation we have at the, uh, at the museum. And, well, the parlor is a sitting room, right? So mm-hmm. we have taken the parlor and made it a space to help people get a fuller sense of the family, what their lives were like and, and how they were and, and different situations. So uh, we've expanded our display about Mary and the school of, at Vinton, including the uh, copies of the registry from Vinton where she signed in and or Charles signed her in, I guess you would say. And there's some very interesting things and questions, like what was the financial condition of the family? Mm-hmm. Well, some people think it would be poor, but actually it's written as moderate in that registry. Hmm. So there's just, you know, help. And we've gotten a Braille stylus, or a Braille slate and stylus. Yes. So we can, And some Braille uh, alphabet cards. So we can help uh, the guests understand when... Mary went to learn how to do Braille, how she actually had to use the stylus. And, and so we were really happy with um, sharing that part of the Iowa story as well, because that is a very strong connection the Ingalls had to Iowa. It certainly is. And uh, I think those all, I can't wait to get back up to Baroque now. Um, and uh, we, uh, before we go on to the other things that, that you can do around town, why don't we just go ahead and say now when your Laura days are going to be this year? Uh, the fourth weekend of June. So it would be the 25th and 26th, uh, Saturday and Sunday. And we have a theme of images of the past this year. Well, I, I this really... This is our uh, 35th anniversary, and so we're excited to... Uh, to think about how things were in the past and what was going on in the past and um, how things looked and just a, a general sense. So we're, of course, inviting people if they'd like to come in costume or dressed appropriately to a period, um, however they think that's portrayed. Uh, we'd sure enjoy to have people come dressed that way. Well, I hope that I can get up there this year. It's on my schedule for right now, so I'm hoping that I, I can come see. I can't wait to see all the changes that you've made. Well, and I'd like to expand that a little bit if we'll talk later sometime, okay? Sure. Okay, sounds um, good. 
And uh, let's see. Where, uh, so we've looked at the hotel. We've come out of the bottom of the hotel. We've oh, seen... now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just one more. Let me say oh, a sure. couple more things about the hotel, okay? Oh, sure. Um, we have now in the room that we believe the Stedmans stayed in a little mm-hmm. display about the different people of Burr Oak. And I think there's one significant, anyway, character, uh, W.H. Reed, who was the school teacher. Mm-hmm. at uh, 16 and 17 years old uh, during the years that they were there. Um, see, Mary received her fifth-grade reader when she was there in Burroughk. And um, Mr. Reed was an elocutionist, mm-hmm. and so he was very interested in helping the students, Mary, Laura, and the others, learn how to, quote, speak the value of language, the way things can be portrayed. Uh, was even he an actor in the local theatrical productions? And so um, Charles tells a wonderful story about the girls practicing their reading lessons and uh, later he telling them how the men would gather around the stove downstairs. Uh, this is when they were living above Kimball's Grocery. And as the girls practiced their recitations, the men were listening downstairs to this entertaining uh, presentations. So the girls were just doing their schoolwork, but the men were getting a, quite a show uh, for free, if you will, downstairs. So Reed, I think, is a, an important character in Laura's development of uh, appreciating not only language but also words and, and the power of words. I think you're right. He did definitely have a strong influence. He sounds like a wonderful teacher from from everything that I've seen. And and he's absolutely right. Elocution is very important, and it's sadly lacking through most of modern schools. I always like to do a little sample of an elocution speaking engagement when I'm uh, doing one of my programs because I really think you're right. It's absolutely important. I like to, on the tour, present Paul Revere's ride uh, without elocution, just in monotone, and then just just the first opening five lines, you know, but uh, to give it an elocutionary base and really let people feel the power of the story. Um, I love it, yeah. Yeah. Sadly, I memorized most of that poem once. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what's so sad about it, but... Well, it was... Well, I, I, with prompting, I think I could probably still do it. It was a lot of work, but I was following the dictates of my great-grandfather that you, the memory is a muscle and you have to practice using it to be able to pull things up. I don't know if it helped my memory any, but I can, <laughs> I can well, still I do a bit of it. Well, I think we have a lot to be thankful for of Carolyn Ingalls being an educated woman and really wanting her daughters to have education because I think if, Laura hadn't been educated as such, we may have lost a great series. I think you're right. Okay, well, well is there anything else? We you were wanted? going out the lower doors yes. is when I cut you off earlier, but um, mm-hmm. we're excited. We're just uh, getting our covered wagon rebuilt this year, so we'll have a whole new wagon. Um, we we have been given a wonderful gift by um, some local artists. Uh, here in Winnesheek County, there's been a barn quilt um, drive to get different barns to put quilt patterns up. And we were given some burrow leaves and acorns in a quilt patch. Oh, and wow. So we have uh, displayed that now um, out 
by the front sidewalk along the uh, fence that goes south of the museum. And it's just a gorgeous uh, burr oak leaf with stylized uh, acorn pattern. Um, just marvelous. So we're excited about to be part of that whole quilt uh, square, Barnes quilt uh, trail, if you will, that we're trying to establish in the county. And well, I... also, we had a local wood artist and actually our volunteer of the year uh, this year um, make a brand new welcome sign on the front of the museum. And for folks who aren't familiar with our logo, we have a little oval that has the hotel building and a covered wagon going past the front with a couple of uh, oak leaves hanging off the front. Well, he has rendered that in wood. So it's a beautiful cherry oval with um, different types of wood coloring and shading the whole picture. So it's just a marvelous photo op to have people take their uh, picture there in front of the welcome sign now. Oh, I love getting my picture taken by things. That's <laughs> There you go. I, I sadly do. I have a whole folder of pictures to be about. Okay. Well, but... our, our, our previous welcome sign, uh, unfortunately, when you stood in front of it to get your picture, you couldn't tell where you were because so now we've got Laura Ingalls Wilder up high, and uh, so people can stand there and, and still have the museum's name above it. So that's good. It's, I'm sure people. Nice. I'm sure people will appreciate that. And if anybody out there doesn't know what a barn quilt is, if you go to my blog Trendlebed Tales Radio and you search for barn quilt, there's a nice explanation that should pop up for you. And I'm good. so glad to hear that uh, Winnesheet County is doing that. I I really think it is a natural fit with the Laura sites where people want to kind of get a feel for the landscape to uh, kind of have this excuse to drive through the county. Well, and just coming up 52, um, instead of turning off on the North Wind Road, you continue on. And there, on one of the barns there, is uh, Laura's Bear Paw quilt. Ooh. So that sort of starts our Laura Ingalls Wilder Trail, and then Burr Oak, uh, our quilt in town, sort of finishes it off. So we're hoping to, to have a whole series between here and there to to be able to highlight the Laura aspects. Well, good luck with that. I really think that's an incredible, good idea, so I hope it works out. Yeah, and the local art students have just been wonderful in helping to draw a layout and then local volunteers painting, doing the painting and things. So it's okay. a wonderful project. Um, now, we we had come out the back door. We'd come up uh, the hill past the covered wagon. Uh, we'd mentioned before that there is a cemetery, but... Um, I, I just want to mention again, I think it's a lovely place to wander around. And it. Uh, what really got me was when you were doing one of your cemetery walks. I got to, uh, mm-hmm. or to take that, and it really kind of made the stories come alive. And I like to point out some of the stones now when I'm, I'm uh, telling people about Baroque, because it really, there's some interesting stories in that cemetery. Laura was right. She had a good, always had a good sense for the dramatic. Yes. We uh, we also, um, just north of the cemetery, um, own the Advent Church building. And um, we're very happy that um, some of our, one of our new board members is quite supportive of getting things going. And so we've actually made plans to clean the building up on the inside and to see if we can uh, host the local uh, memorial services 
on Memorial Day there at the Baroque Cemetery. Um, oh, that would be nice. else, have a, a dry space if it should happen to be rainy. But in the past, the memorial service has included a ringing of the bell as the names have been read of the veterans. And so we're hoping that we can actually use the Advent Church bell as oh. part of that uh, ceremony. So Well, that would be really nice. Again, playing, trying to support and be a uh, um, community member in Baroque and uh, establish some links there and, and support each other in our efforts. Now, uh, one thing that I think is very clever and uh, of you guys to do is you've had some focus on Grace Ingalls since one of the Ingalls family was actually born in Iowa. And I think it's just great that you've taken sort of an initiative with that. Yes, Grace, uh, May 23rd of 1877, um, she was born in town and maybe took some of that uh, painful edge off little Freddie passing um, just not too much before then, the previous August. So um, we think it is significant, and uh, it's it's interesting when the school groups are in May, um, we actually get to honor Grace sometimes with school kids there on her birthday. And uh, we've taken, as we divide our kids up into different tours of uh, if we have four groups, then we have the Laura and the Mary and the Carrie, uh, or Carolyn Celeste, if you will, and the Grace Pearl groups. So rather just one, two, three, four, we like to get them thinking about the family members as they're. Some of the boys don't appreciate being called Mary, but uh, <laughs> it's just the name of the group. It's not their name, so we help them understand that. Mm. But yes, Grace is. Uh, well. Grace is a person that, uh, you know, helped care for Mary when Ma passed and um, took, you know, a valuable part, even though in some of the books she's not, uh, you know, just too small to do anything or whatever. Um, She was a family member, and she did uh, grow to be, uh, you know, one of the four sisters that's pictured in in the family gathering and things. So, yes, help people understand that, uh, Good things and uh, important things in the Ingalls' lives happened during their time in Baroque. Definitely. Uh, and I just wanted to make sure that I got a mention of this in just because I think it's so cool. Another famous person, uh, sort of, from Baroque was George Bent. And I believe you mentioned his uh, book earlier. Uh, do you want to tell people what he was famous for? Well, um, he was actually the pastor's son of the pastor who started the Congregational Church in Baroque that the Stedmans and the Ingalls attended. But later, he um, started a manufacturing company in Chicago that made uh, pianos and pump organs. And with the success of his manufacturing company, he uh, had the resources so that he did decide to go ahead and write his Baroque history book and uh, self-publish it. So his Tales of Travel, Life, and Love was the result of his successful business enterprise and having the money to be able to publish uh, after he got the stories from the different persons in town and and wrote it up, his uh, Baroque history. And that book is the one that was invaluable as far as uh, resources of the old pictures and the old plat of Baroque and uh, 
a lot of wealth of information. And uh, being a pump organ manufacturer was really pretty important back in the day because pump organs were one of sort of the symbols of the middle class because the actual workings of them were fairly cheap, but they could put these elaborate cases on them. So you could have um, a very fancy-looking thing in your house even if you couldn't really afford a piano or a piano's upkeep. So uh, it's I'm sure he, he did a great trade in that. And you actually have an example of his work there at the museum. Yes, we're so fortunate that we were uh, provided with a George Bent uh, crowned organ. So uh, we we invite people to play it too during the tours. If they even if they don't play, they would like to experience the work it was to pump and to use your knees for the swells and to play the keys. And uh, it was quite a workout. But um, <laughs> the music itself was just a joyous thing to have in a home, of course. Yes, it it is a workout. Uh, once upon a time when I worked at Usher's Ferry, one of my many, many jobs was that I played for the church services for the week and the Civil War weekend. And wow. To play that thing off and on for an hour is quite a bit of work. Yes. But it isn't that bad. I mean, once you, once you get into it, it's sort of you get into the rhythm, like a, a treadle sewing machine. Right. But, uh, uh, the really cool thing, I think, is not only do you have one of uh, his organs in Baroque, which is amazingly cool and fitting, mm-hmm. when I went out to uh, Malone, or Malone Burke, as they like to call it, for the mm-hmm. um, for the, the bus trip that the Baroque Museum sponsored, because you also are a leader in doing that, uh, There, we got out to the Farmer Boy house, and they had a pump organ, and what who what kind should it be but a George Bent? Isn't that wonderful? I, I really do think it was really just so cool that there was that kind of accidental connection between Malone and Burroughs. Well, and that, that does speak to how successful he was. You know, he sold a lot of pianos and pump organs. Uh, you know, for them to last and to show up, that, that speaks, you know, it wasn't necessarily rare to find one. During that time, anyway, he was he was an accomplished manufacturer. Yes, I think so. And when I get into my life goals list of actually having room to buy some of these big things, I hope I can get a, a, a pump organ too. I think yeah. that would be nifty. And I was just reading of of the family, of course, building a whole room to put the one in and dismiss. <laughs> well, they were. When came back, she would have something to play. Because you really were, they were claiming that middle class status that they could actually have, yes. you know, pump organ. And actually, in my house, we have, uh, well, it's, it's my grandparents' house. There's a room we call the piano room that was built primarily to hold the pianos. How nice. So uh, I guess that impulse kind of stuck around. Yeah, it was no longer a claim shanty, it was a home. Yes. Yes. Now, uh, we're starting to um, run out of time, but I did want to mention uh, one thing about uh, your Laura days, one last thing, because I just really think uh, you do such an interesting thing there compared to the other museums about how you have uh, your little Miss Laura contest work. Yes, some people have found it uh, limiting because they can't drive in from a far distance and be in the Laura contest. What we do is ask uh, our contestants 
to submit an essay uh, about Laura and then to go before judges uh, that morning. And then um, if they are crowned Little Miss Laura or Young Almanza, and we also uh, crown an alternate. Uh, so uh, two girls each year have an opportunity to um, be used by our museum as ambassadors for the museum as well as Laura's story of, and we have nine, 10, 11 year old girls uh, or same age young Almanzo contestants who um, for the next year then will ride in the parades in our covered wagon, uh, go to the state fair, be part of our tourism booth, um, go to different uh, school groups and talk and so the county fair at our we have uh, we sponsor a basket that goes for fundraising for the county fair. Um, anyway, they make presentations throughout the year and represent. So we just can't have someone that's you know 200 miles away. We need someone within the local counties uh, here that and lots of them are um, school children who have come in May and gotten enthused about it and submitted their uh, their essays then and. Um, application for the contest. Well, I judged for a couple years, and it was, you know, there really was a lot of talent there, and I think that's so great because they actually have a job, and I think it's such a great experience for them to get to be basically an ambassador for the museum and learn to kind of give back to their community, and I just think it's phenomenal that you do it that way. Although, if you're looking for a look-alike contest, you can also find that in Pepin during their Laura days and in Walnut Grove during their Laura days. So there are other opportunities if that's what you're uh, looking for. Well, we got about two minutes left, so uh, did you have anything else that you specifically wanted to add before we wrap it up? Well, we would just, um, as I was mentioning earlier, um, our task and opportunity and joy, actually, is in revealing Laura's unpublished story. So the joy we have is, as guests come, is to help them understand what didn't get into Laura's books and what was going on before and after and during the time they were here in Burr Oak. So that's why we love questions. That's why we love to, to know, do you know the show? Do you know the books? Do you know both? to understand where our guests are coming from so that we can use our time to really help fill in the the gaps or, or answer um, and raise questions. You know, sometimes we learn so much when go, folks ask questions and, it, well, I don't know, we're going to have to look that one up. You know, or we'd love to be baffled. <laughs> well, that's not to say we're not confused most of the time anyway, but anyway, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's just so much fun to present Laura and her family and what's going on, was going on during that time. Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight, Steve. I hope everybody makes a, a plan to come out to Baroque real soon. And I think we'll have to have you come on again because uh, we had a couple things on our list of things to talk about tonight that we didn't get to. Just let us know. So uh, I'm going to put you back in the screening room for right now. I, and then I want to just remind everybody that uh, we'll be looking for a May roundup somewhere. I don't have it scheduled yet, but the first couple days of May. And then May 4th, our next episode is going to be 
um, about the Seeking Laura Letters project that I've been working on, and we're gonna I'm gonna talk about how that sort of got started and what we've done so far and what you can do to help. So I hope that you will tune in then on uh, May 4th, which is again another Wednesday, and it would be at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 p.m. Central Time, 8 p.m. Mountain Time, and 7 p.m. Pacific Time. So I hope you'll join us then. And we're going to play out a new version of our theme song played on a pump organ. Good night. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.